through 10. Getting down to the wire here. Going to move into the uh, golden altar this morning. Uh, we've just passed uh, from the uh, table of showbread. So to refresh our minds, we've got the brazen altar, the brazen laver. We're now working inside of the tent itself. We've talked about the golden candlestick. As we look down on that, the table of showbread. And this morning, the golden altar that we'll talk about right before the veil and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Uh, just by way of reminder, what was the picture, what was the truth, the principle behind the golden candlestick? What was this demonstrating? What principle of God's dwelling with man was here? Rough? Golden candle, candlestick. What? Bringing light. And this... Uh, uh, comes out to what in our experience? Okay, God and the church being bringing light to the world. Good. Okay. All right. Good. So what? What's the word that we use? that can describe this bringing light and bearing fruit. What, what do we call that? Witness, okay? So we're talking about our witness. Then we talked about the... Uh, uh, this is the candlestick. We talked then about the table of showbread. And uh, what's the, what is the, our picture here? What's the one word that we, that we use that would describe this? Ken? Fellowship. Okay. And fellowship is described here. We have a golden table uh, that's made of gold and acacia wood that uh, holds up the showbread, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. Fellowship then is based upon, uh, fellowship is experienced by the church that uh, upholds and uplifts Jesus Christ to the world. If we uh, we do our fellowship, we do not experience the fellowship God intends unless we are uh, lifting up uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've talked about uh, about uh, witness. We've talked about fellowship, uh, and now we're again we're talking about here being in the presence of God, uh, ministering before the Lord, and we're going to move into the golden altar this morning, and we'll establish some principles about that. Are there any comments or questions, just briefly before we go on, something that was left unclear or uh, not understood that we might help you with before we continue? Comment there. Praise the Lord. Okay. Exodus 30, 1 through 10. Somebody with a New King James Bible? Mike. Most holy to the Lord. Okay. So this is made out of what? From the scripture we just looked at. What? What's it made out of? 
In case you would, overlaid with gold. Okay, and so we're going to see this again as a picture of the church. Uh, we saw that uh, blood needed to be sprinkled upon the horns of this altar for atoning for the altar. Okay? Uh, Jesus doesn't have to be atoned for, right? You only have to atone for something that has sin attached to it. And Jesus uh, is without sin, blameless and spotless. And so this acacia, uh, wood and gold, the humanity, uh, fused with the divine, which is the church of Jesus Christ. People, uh, humanity, that uh, have an experience with God and uh, are the body of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about uh, a picture, again, of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is, uh, how, what are its dimensions? You find that for us. What, what dimensions does it have? Mick? Okay, so it's one cubit uh, this way, uh, and a, a cubit square, which is 18 inches, and uh, then what is it high? Two cubits high. Okay, so three, uh, three feet high. And here we have uh, the, uh, this thing about this size, and uh, three feet off the ground, and it is... Uh, has a crown around it, a molding to uh, keep the uh, incense from falling off. And then it has uh, horns about it, just like the uh, brazen altar. And it has horns uh, on the four corners. And only two rings, interestingly enough, only two rings. Uh, uh, we figure that they're probably on two uh, opposite corners uh, to carry the, uh, the uh, golden uh, candlestick. Okay. And so this is burned uh, two times a day, and it is burned at the same time that uh, the ministry to the candlestick uh, goes on. When they, they go in twice a day to trim and, and uh, give oil, light the candlestick, then at that same time, they'll do that twice a day, they'll also throw some incense uh, uh, upon the golden altar, and these two uh, are linked together uh, in this experience. Okay, and so there's a special incense that is made. If somebody could get verses 34 through 38 for us, this is a special incense. Randy Foster can, uh, can find that for us. And this burns with the fire that comes from the brazen altar. This fire is brought to be the fire that ignites this incense here. Okay, do you have that for us, brother? Okay, so there's a special uh, incense. Other places it is said that that's not to be used for anything else. You're not to try and make a fake 
kind, and uh, we'll look at the incense uh, uh, perhaps uh, later on, but we just want to establish that there's a special incense that is used there. Okay, so here's our, here's our groundwork, here's the, here's the furniture that we're looking at, and we're going to be talking about the principle of worship. Worship, the issue we're going to uh, look at tonight. Someone uh, this morning, Revelation 5, 8. Someone could find Ben Manzanares, Dwayne, uh, Revelation 8, 3 and 4, and Ron Gandolfo, Psalms 141, verse 2. Okay, we're going to talk about what is uh, acceptable worship. The principle that comes through the golden altar is that not all incense burning is necessarily acceptable to God. That we are of the understanding that, uh, or we, many people feel that as long as you're sincere, as long as you believe in God, as long as you're enthusiastic about what you're doing, as long as you are sincere in that, as long as your heart is in it, then God looks beyond the type of worship and He just looks down upon the heart and that's all He cares about. Well, God does look on the heart. God is concerned about the heart, but he's also, he understands that the heart that is right will also manifest itself in worship that is right and worship that is acceptable to God, that God is God, worship is directed to God, and God has some feelings about worship, about acceptable worship and about un acceptable worship. Not all incense burning was acceptable to God. There is incense uh, being burned to Baal uh, all the time. But that incense that was being burned to Baal, God says, well, they just don't have the full revelation. Uh, I'll just receive that as worship uh, unto me. That's not his attitude. God has some, some feelings about that. This gold and wood together we saw was a picture of the church. And the church is, again, what? What is the church? The assembly. God is talking about a worship uh, that comes forth from the assembly. This is not to say that we can't say praise the Lord when we are not assembled. It's not to say that we cannot give God praise and give God worship, but God is concerned. God uh, wants worship to take place in the assembly and to neglect the assembly and feel that, uh, that you're just worship under a tree somewhere with your fishing pole out uh, hung over the lake, that that's acceptable to God is to violate the type of the golden altar because the golden altar is a picture of the assembly. 
But you can say praise the Lord all you want outside the assembly. You can worship God. You, all of that is fine. But if you do not assemble for worship, if when the church assembles, you're, you don't count that holy, you don't count that as, as valuable, then you violate the principle of worship. God wants to be worshipped in the assembly, and God wants assembly worship to be part of your experience with God. Amen. Uh, let's look at Revelation 5, verse 8. Okay, we have the picture here in Revelation, uh, the uh, picture that uh, lines up with the picture of the tabernacle, and then the incense that is being burned is the prayers or the worship, the, the words that are directed to God of the saints. Okay, Revelation chapter 8. Okay, did I interrupt you? Yes, I did. Sorry. Okay, good. Psalm 141.2. Okay, so in incense, we're talking about prayer. Praise, we're talking about the words that we, uh, that we direct uh, towards God. All worship is not necessarily acceptable to God simply because it's sincere, simply because it's from the heart. There's massive cathedrals that are built by sincere people. There are uh, multitudes of, of Muslims that, that, uh, that bow down at numbers of times during the day, and they feel that that is acceptable worship to God. There are all kinds of rituals and candle burnings and uh, all kinds of things that people enter into. They're sincere. They feel that this is what they want to do to express praise or gratitude to God. But what we're going to see is that this altar tells us clearly that, uh, that in many ways uh, the, that God accepts one brand of worship uh, alone. God looks upon the heart, uh, but God is looking also for a type of worship. Bill? Okay, good, good. All right, let's move on then to see what this, what acceptable worship is all about. We find here a principle, a type of worship in the golden uh, altar. And uh, let's see what it involves here. Amen. That it involves one thing is sacrifice. One principle of true worship involves sacrifice. It's more than a formality. It's opening our heart to God to be willing to be changed, to give our hearts to Him, to surrender to Him. Whenever you and I enter into worship, then there's going to be a sacrifice of our flesh. There's going to be something that's going to have to die. This self-will is going to experience a tremendous beating. Our selfishness and our self-centeredness, uh, our, our egos and uh, our flesh, uh, all of these things.
kings are going to have to be uh, put to death. They're going to have to be sacrificed. They're going to have to be laid aside if you and I are going to be involved in real worship. What uh, this is uh, uh, an altar, a golden altar. It's not a golden table. It's not a golden candlestick. It's it's not a, a golden a, a wash basin. It's a golden altar. What does the word altar mean? What's the Hebrew background of that word, if you remember? Place of slaughter. Interesting, isn't it? That worship would involve slaughter. That if we're going to be involved in worship, uh, then something's going to have to die. You come to church and you're filled with your unbelief, with resentment, pride, complaining, just a desire for yourself and what you're going to uh, receive. When you have uh, uh, decided that uh, uh, your state of mind and your attitudes, you're fully justified because so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that and God didn't do this when He was supposed to do it and so you've locked into your heart uh, attitudes of unbelief and bitterness and resentment and justified those that when you come into church something's going to have to die all that's going to have to die all of that's going to have to be put upon the altar uh, if you're going to enter into true worship, it's going to mean laying that stuff aside. To worship God is to surrender your flesh and die. Self-will and worship cannot coexist. Worship involves the sacrifice of our self-will, the sacrifice of our flesh, and that may not always be enjoyable. That may not always feel good. That may not always give you good vibes. May be total torture for you to take your mind off your self-pity and put it on God. Maybe just a total drag for you to, to uh, enter into worship because you're going to have to forgive your wife by the time your hands get fully extended. And so you may want to just know I'm not going to worship God because I know if I enter in then God's going to convict my heart. And so you'll just... Because you're justified, you'll lay back for that service and just foment. Do you have your hand up? Ken? Okay. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Praise is a sacrifice. And we're going to look at that just now. Jeremiah 17, 26. Someone, Rob Kennard, Rod Olmsted, Jeremiah 33, 11, Hebrews 13, 15, Louis, Psalm 50, 23, uh, Bob Kimball. Okay. Uh, to offer a sacrifice to our self will. When you uh, enter into worship, when we begin to worship God, you have a decision to make. It's a decision about whether you're going to keep. A 
filled with your own self and filled with your own uh, justified uh, messed up attitudes and all the things that are there or just preoccupation with your own things or are you going to lay all of that aside? Are you going to die to yourself and you're going to offer the sacrifice of praise on the golden altar? Not the candlestick, not the table, but worship uh, incense is burned. Worship goes forth from an altar, from a place of slaughter. Amen. Jeremiah seventeen twenty six. Okay, sacrifices of praise. Thirty three eleven. Okay, isn't this interesting? Here's all these terms of joy, the bride, the bridegroom, all of the joyful imagery of that verse, but it's to offer the sacrifice of praise. See, sacrifice may uh, seem painful. Sacrifice uh, may seem uh, difficult, uh, and it may uh, we may be upset uh, to have to do that, uh, have to praise God longer than we feel like praising God, but that's the path to joy. It's when we die to ourselves that we can touch joy. As long as we're filled with ourselves, we don't have any room for joy. But it's by that self-death uh, that we enter into in worship. Uh, and worship uh, is uh, something, it's a choice that we make. Uh, it's a decision that we make. Uh, it's not just uh, when we get pumped up to feel real, real spiritual and real, real good. And we start jumping up and down and jumping up and down and, and going into some kind of frenzy and uh, until we finally feel spiritual and then we start praising God. That happens all you do, see you don't know that that happens, but that happens everywhere. But for us, we understand that no, it's a decision, a decision I make in my mind that God's worthy, and God is more important than anything I'm going through, anything that I feel, and because God is God, right now I'm going to lift my hands and lift my voice, and I'm going to worship Him, and I may have to die to a bunch of things that I'd rather think about and that I'd rather dwell upon, but I'm going to do, I'm going to decide, I'm going to make that sacrifice, and that's the pathway to joy. Praise God. Hebrews 13:15. Okay, good. Psalm 50, verse 23. Okay, this, again, this word offer involves sacrifice. That inherent in the word offer is the thought of sacrifice. Okay, before we go on, do we have any comments or questions on that? Louis? Uh, well, it has to do with praise. What, what do you think it might? Okay, the devil measures our authority by our victory over our flesh. Now, every you know, we say, "Oh, he'll, devils tremble at the name of Jesus." Well, yeah, they do, uh, but uh, there's uh, a thing of you may rebuke the devil and rebuke the devil and rebuke the devil all, all day and all night, but you can't even get your own flesh 
to, uh, to give in. And the devil knows that. See, when you and I, our first battle is not with the devil. Our first battle is with the enemy within. When we conquer the flesh, that by conquering the flesh, we learn how to exercise authority over the devil. It's in that. That's a, that's a training ground of exercising dominion. And so, uh, in the battle with Jehoshaphat, in the battle that you face in life, the devil is going to tremble, not just because you can say the name Jesus, uh, but he knows uh, that you know how to exercise dominion. Because he's seen that uh, in you overcoming your flesh in praise. It's one thing to, to uh, come and, and ask for uh, uh, prayer to overcome the, all these attacks uh, that the devil is bringing against your mind and all these dirty thoughts. But it's another whole thing to just uh, uh, to uh, exercise some authority over your flesh and quit thinking them. Quit looking at things that fill your mind with those thoughts. You can rebuke the devil all you want, but the issue needed to be decided right here. If you've got authority over your own flesh. And so that's how they're keyed together, I believe is that the devil measures uh, our ability to uh, take dominion by our ability to take victory over our own flesh. When we do that, that shows the devil that we can. That's why uh, Jesus says, These kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, does the devil just get nervous when he sees us hungry? You know, there's just, oh man, he's hungry. Uh, uh, this is bad news. But what, what's happening in fasting? You're overcoming your flesh. You're saying, no, you're learning how to exercise dominion in your own body, and that's equipping you to take dominion over the devil. Okay, I had some other thoughts. Bill and then Morgan. Excellent. Okay. That our ability to... Uh, to uh, keep the devil without the, uh, our ability to wage uh, victorious warfare in the supernatural realm begins with our being able to rule our own spirit. Good. Uh, Morgan and then Ron. Amen. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ron. Amen. Good. Anybody else need a relationship with God? Okay, so this does involve, these are related. Uh, when you're taking dominion over your flesh, when you're denying worship, uh, then the tables are reversed and power begins to move. Praise God. All right. Any other comments? Good. Okay, worship is opening ourselves up to God and letting Him back into our lives. And I'm not saying that, that you need to get saved again every time you lift your hands, but there is an influence of God that we maintain when we worship God. There is a 
resubmitting ourselves to God, a, a reorienting uh, ourselves to His Lordship, that when we begin to worship, uh, we begin to uh, uh, fill those uh, wells of salvation. We begin to uh, exchange uh, the, the uh, uh, garment of praise uh, or the, the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise. We begin to uh, bring ourselves back to what really is real and who really is God and who is really in charge of our lives when His light, His attitudes, His direction have a chance to again uh, gain ascendancy in our lives. Amen. Psalm 107, verse 22. Uh, ben Manzanares, with ex we worship God with, uh, uh, with extended hands, with submission and surrender unto Him. See, someone who will not praise God is someone who's saying, I will not receive from God. I'm not going to receive what God has for my life. I don't want to change. I don't want help. Self-pity feels better. Resentment and unforgiveness uh, feels better. And there is a spirit of unbelief behind every person that does not worship God. Unbelief. That somehow that your problems and difficulties and the battles with your own flesh are more real than God. That God can have nothing to do with all the problems that you bring into any service or any time of worship. That when you enter that God's God and he's a million miles away and you can worship him all you want and he wouldn't care. He cares about brother so and so and sister so and so and he's always opening the windows of heaven for them but not me. Not me, not me. The only way I'm going to get by is to be unforgiving, to be bitter, to be resentful, to get my own way, to, to squash anybody down on the, on the way to what I want. And there's unbelief behind your decision when you come in, your decision that you're not going to worship God. You're not going to lift your hands. You're just going to worship your problems. Amen. Uh, Psalm 107, verse 22. Let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his words with rejoicing. Okay, good. Uh, okay, so uh, there's all kinds of arguments that you and I can bring to our minds why we don't have to worship. Why we don't have to worship God. What are some arguments why we don't have to worship God? Dwayne? He knows my heart, yeah. Okay. He knows what's there, and I don't have to tell him. Because to tell him would do damage to my ego. I'm too tired. I don't feel it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And when I feel it, I'll praise God. Since when do feelings, are they a judgment of what's reality? That's... That's such a perverse understanding. Praise the Lord in my own way. Amen. Okay. All right. That's uh, the spectator Christianity that many were raised with. Is that a man gets up and he praises God and we watch him. And every once in a while on the book it gives us something we can say. Amen. Uh, Lord grant us peace. And, uh, you know, they just, it gives us a little, uh, 
uh, a thing to say. Okay, too much confusion, uh, too much noise. God, uh, uh, God's a quiet God. He gets nervous, or he can't hear me. And there's so many people praising at once that he, you know, he gets confused and doesn't know who's praising. How could he possibly know that I'm in there somewhere? Amen. Randy. Yes. Good, Heidi. Uh huh. Okay. It takes a conscious effort. It takes a decision, Brother Payson. Yes. Right, Brother Kennard. Yes. Yeah. That's not for today. That's for some other generation. Yes. My brother was so reverent that he began to, to snore. Amen. And uh, this is, you'll not find this in the Bible. There's, uh, uh, there are times to be still and know that I am God, but those are often uh, individual experiences. In the assembly, it's talking about uh, a praise uh, that we give to God. So there are many excuses that come to our minds multitudes of excuses why. Uh, uh, I was talking to some people the other day that were not uh, in uh, uh, agreement with the way that we uh, praise God and they had some misunderstandings about that. And uh, they said, well, who, uh, who decides? It seems like you all start at the same time and then you all stop at the same time. Uh, uh, you, know, who, you know, who decides that? Just everybody stops feeling it at the same time. And, and what is this? Who's in charge? I said, well, when I lead the service, I'm in charge. I say, now we're going to praise God. And if they and if, and if praise begins to flag, once the initial ritual part of it gets over, and people start thinking about the football game or baseball game, then I give it another push. Let's go. Lift my voice. Let's keep praising and uh, keep praising God. And uh, that I'm not in the authority. God is in the authority. But uh, there's some things that we contend for. And when I say, okay, lift your hands, we're going to sing again, let's praise God again, lift your voice, worship God, that, that's not just because I, I just like to, you know, a nice long praise service, we're dealing with something, we're contending for something, and that's God in our midst, and that's for you to finally die, to finally say, if I'm... Let's, I'm going to quit thinking about the ball game just to get this over with, where, you know, just to... to I guess I better enter in. He's going to make me do it anyways. <laughs> Takes us a while sometimes to go over the line, amen, to enter in to worship. Okay. See, uh, when we will not praise, we're saying that we don't want God involved in the things that we're dealing with in life. We don't want God involved in our attitudes. We find out, you know, you know, people, they, uh, they get bummed out or they have a problem. And so what they want to do and what they do is they miss church. Interesting response, isn't it? Got a problem? 
get your attitudes crosswise and so just miss church and and uh, uh, the way that our generation functions it's like boy if you just don't feel it then boy it's just hypocritical to do it and so if you don't feel like praising God uh, you don't feel like worship then just stay home and and uh, do something else but uh, the the reason that people miss church is because they're mad and they're sulking and they do not want God to help them with their problem. They don't want God to change their circumstances, to change their hearts, to change their attitudes. They have attitudes. They're sulking. They're mad. They like it. If you come to church, then there's a chance that God will make you repent. There's a chance that while you're lifting your hands, you might have to forgive your boss. You might have to finally give in and smile at your wife. You might have to make some other kind of holy decision. And that would mean some sacrifice. And that would mean some ego deflating. And when, we, when you miss church, it's because you're sulking and mad. And you don't want God to become involved in that situation of life. See, when we begin to praise God, there in the presence of God begins to fill our sanctuary, then something of the perspective of God begins to come to our lives. Something begins to happen when all of a sudden we realize who God is. That God is God, that He rules in heaven above and on earth beneath, that He is God, that He is all-powerful, that He is at work in our lives. And all of a sudden, all perspective on our problems and our situations begin to radically change. But see, if we don't want that to happen, if we just rather mulligrub, then don't come to church, or if you do, because people will wonder, then just keep your hands at half-mast and... Think about something else. Amen. Amen. See, worship involves a relinquishing of our life and our problems to God. And what you're going to have to do when you lift your hands, you're going to have to say, God, I'm hanging on to these things, but I can't lift my hands while I get all these things. So could you hold these while I lift my hands? And maybe when we drop our hands back down, we'll have enough faith to let him keep them. And let him take care of them. Let him work them out. Not that we abdicate all responsibility, but we're released from the worry, the contention, or the, the bad side effects of those things. Okay, praise the Lord. We'll finish this up next week. Let's move into our...